Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your co-hosts are Pastor Steve Macias and Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor. Welcome to episode number 66 of the Out of the Question podcast. Today, Steve and I will be getting behind the question... Is God a respecter of excuses? Now, before I turn it over to Steve, let me give you some examples so you're oriented to what we're even talking about. It's not uncommon to hear people say, well, my daughter acts that way because she's tired. Or, he's given to offending others because he was born with a quick temper. Or, my elderly parent acts that way because of dementia. Or, that woman is promiscuous because she didn't get enough love as a child. In essence, these are all excuses. So, Steve, I'll turn it over to you. Does God respect those excuses? Are those valid excuses for bad behavior? Well, I don't think that God is a respecter of excuses. It's also been said that those who are good at making excuses are not good at much else. And I think that if we go back to uh, St. Paul, our entire conversation can be framed around one Bible verse. We go to the book of Romans in chapter 5, and we can talk about when when St. Paul said the law entered into the world. And this idea of sin abounding and grace abounding. And and St. Paul asks the question, should sin abound with grace abounding? And I think that gets to the heart of these excuse questions. We as believers have misread the idea of forgiveness as an excuse for sin. And even in these minor things in our life, we have begun to remove ourselves from personal responsibility for our actions, our behaviors, our words, our oaths, our yes, the things that Jesus calls us to do obediently. We have taken salvation and twisted it to be an excuse to not be responsible personally. And I hear people often use qualifiers. I know I'm not as faithful as I should be, or um, I'm not as patient as I should be. And it just, when I started thinking about this, I realized how woven into all of this is a grading system that says pass fail. I mean, this is good enough. And as you said, if you're good at excuses, you're not good at much else. Well, Our friend R.J. Rushduni points out that in Genesis 3, verses 9 through 19, God makes it very clear that he regards all excuses as only ground for condemnation and judgment. So maybe we all need to think about how we are oriented to things. Are we basically setting ourselves up for condemnation and judgment when we excuse sin in ourselves or others? We have to wonder... Are we looking for excuses in order to uh, get out of doing the things that God has called us to do? I think if we look at the root of many of our excuses, even the examples that you've put today, that they're really us avoiding the difficult challenges or decisions or responsibilities that are before us. And the reason why excuses are dangerous, not just spiritually, but emotionally, psychologically, is because they prevent us from encountering the 
obstacles or the trials that God is using in our life to grow us into the people we are. I'm sure, Andrea, you can think of many men, women, children, uh, students, teachers who have missed out on God's sanctification because they found excuses. Or even worse, the kingdom of God is not doing as it's supposed to because we are looking for excuses to get out of our work as ambassadors of that same kingdom. And I think it amounts to we demean the reality of being born again in the spirit. So a person can be a born-again Christian. Oh, yeah, he or she's a born-again Christian, but they do all these things that aren't manifestations of the fruits of the spirit. Now, I'm not sitting here saying I do everything flawlessly and nobody could get really close to my life and point out a lot of inconsistencies. There are. Theologically, we know that as long as we're here, we're still not fully sanctified. But that doesn't mean because we can understand that that child is tired or we can understand that a person seems to have a quick fuse or we can't understand that somebody might um, have physical or mental impairments that cause them to act contrary to what we know we should. But if we don't approach those people with God's law and God's standard, then we've sort of given them wiggle room. And why would you want to give somebody wiggle room unless you want some wiggle room too? And there's this, this idea, I think I got it from, from Vonnegut, that talks about whatever we pretend to be, we become. And I know that's a strange thing to say, but when we use excuses, right, when we create stories and narratives about why we do something or why we haven't done something, that excuse, that narrative that you have put forth of who you are is who you become. So in your daily life, uh, and I don't mean to sound like a, a self-help guru here, but in your, in your daily life, what excuses are doing is forming a narrative of what you believe about God. What Andrea says about being born again in the spirit, when you make excuses about why it is you can't overcome a sin, why you can't overcome a challenge, why you can't overcome the trial, you're really creating a narrative that you are going to become. But the reality is that Jesus has said through his scripture that you are made a new creation, that you are a ambassador of the high king of heaven, right? And so if we are making excuses and saying, I can't do this, we are saying that this particular thing is outside the reign of Jesus Christ. And so the danger of excuses is that we are affecting our relationship with our Father in heaven. Um, but more than that, we are saying that what salvation has done is not really affected some part of your body. Now, as Andrea mentioned, we will all make mistakes and we will all fall short. But the answer to that is not to develop excuses, but to work and to develop our uh, reasoning through those why reasons we failed and to build on Christ's law. Right. Rush Judy notes in the same piece that he had on excuses, he says, man can never approach God with anything other than perfect faith and obedience. This Jesus Christ has done in our stead, and in addition to this, has given us grace to obey him. We are thus required to give him the obedience of faith, to recognize that we have been called, not to disobey God's law, but to obey it and to serve him in every area of life. 
And that's the end of the quote. Which means that when we acknowledge this is sin, because sin is anything that we are required to do and have not done, or anything that we're forbidden to do and we have done. So in recognizing that we have sinned, as opposed to giving an excuse for our sins, the recognition of sin brings us to repentance and confession, which then restores full fellowship. And so if you're making excuses, there's no real reason to confess sin because you can't really confess and say, because my mother did this when I was 12 is the reason I do this now, God. Are we good? <laughs> you haven't approached God with any recognition of your sin. That's right. And I think that our culture is dangerously following in this type of psychological escape from sin. Uh, how many of us are looking for a therapeutic escape from the responsibility of our sin? It's much easier in the short term for us to look to a label or look to a medication or look to a diagnosis for why we have our, our sin behavior. But it's short-sighted because those diagnoses, those labels don't help you fix, repair, or become something else. And the baptism that you received, both of water and of the spirit, was about the transformation of your life. It says that those labels that you received uh, because of your, your past and your history, have been washed away. Uh, the Holy Spirit has come down as a holy flame and purified you of your history. The whole Christian life is about you putting to death of the flesh. And so if you're making excuses based on your history of what you were before Christ made you pure, then you're holding on to the flesh. You're holding on to what Christ has delivered you from. And so excuses are us running away from the great gift of salvation, the great gift of transformation and renewal that Christ has offered. It's us really spitting in the face of the God who offers us not just himself, but the changing of ourselves into something like him. Exactly. And when we talk about that we're saved by faith, it means we are saved according to how God delineates we are saved. It's not a question of, do I feel saved? It's not a question of, I'm so much better than everybody else, and that then becomes my measuring stick. It's a constant recognition that we all fall short and will continue to fall short, and it's only as we cling to Jesus' efficacious work that we even have any standing before God. When, when Jesus took the penalty, he wasn't giving excuses. When Jesus took the penalty, he's going, okay, guilty, and I'm taking this guilt. Easy believism somehow tells you that if you have said yes to Jesus, then somehow or other, you're good. But if you don't understand what, what saying yes to Jesus even means, it means I'm a wretched sinner who deserves death and hell. That's what we're saying yes to. And if it's anything else, then we'll start building our whole narrative, as you put it, around reasons, excuses why we do things that we know are unacceptable, but this is our reason. This is our excuse. That's right. And uh, you know, as has been popular the last few years, uh, Dr. Eugene Peterson has talked about uh, this idea of being a, a victim culture. And you know, he's put that in the, the liberal side, but there are lots of conservatives, there's lots of Christians, there's lots of 
even post-millennial dominion-oriented reconstructionists that see themselves as victims, right? That the world is so evil, uh, there's uh, corruption in our government, there's conspiracy against my family, and we see ourselves as victims and use our victimhood as an excuse for refusing to respond in the way that God has called us to. If you look through the way that St. Paul, St. Peter, the writers of the New Testament, Jesus himself, talk about those who belong to Christ's church, who belong to his body, victim is never a description that he gives. Sometimes St. Paul says that you are ambassadors, representatives of the king. Sometimes he says you're vice regents. Sometimes he says that you will suffer, but suffering as people who are more than conquerors. And so why have we taken to choosing to be a victim, choosing to make excuses over what God has already said about who you are? And I think the answer is very easy. It's that choosing to make excuses for our sin is so much easier than doing what Jonathan Edwards said, to make war with your sin and to mortify your sin. That is, put your sin to death daily. And I think that there's a a recent news story uh, that makes this point very clear. Andrea, I'm sure you don't watch this show, but you've probably heard of it, called The the Bachelorette. I've heard of it, and you are correct. I do not watch it. (laughs) somehow they have had 15 seasons of this smut, which I don't understand that either because we live in a culture that's, you know, me too, but yet here's a story about a girl who's going to be courted by several different men based on physical appearances and nothing to do with the merit of her, you know, intellectual or personality. But anyway, that aside, there was controversy in the 15th season of The Bachelorette because the main character, a Miss Brown, Uh, was confronted by Luke, one of the uh, other characters on the show. And so if you haven't seen this show, one woman, many men, and they go out on dates and she has to pick one as to be her future soulmate. You know, it's just how biblical courtship works. Um, Only kidding about that. But in this show, uh, this man, Luke, who's supposedly a a Christian, confronts the woman and says, how do you get past having sexual relationships with all these you know, different men. Don't you think that purity has importance in this conversation? And this infuriates the girl, whose name is Hannah, by the way. And she goes on to a diatribe, both in this show and then later on the news, saying that, who cares who I have sex with? Because Jesus still loves me. I can do what I want. I can have sex with whatever men I want, because I've already been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And so that is her excuse for her behavior that she knows is irresponsible, is sinful, it is contrary to God's plans for marriage, uh, but she uses salvation, the idea that her sins have been paid for, as an excuse to do these atrocious sins. Now, you and I, maybe we don't do it the same way that Hannah says, as flippantly as Hannah says, but we do the same thing. We get stuck in this mentality that you know, regardless of, of whatever I've done, whatever sin I do daily, whatever sin that is stuck inside me, Jesus still loves me, right? And to an extent, that's true. But Jesus loves you too much to leave you where you are with that sin, with that habit, with that terrible blemish upon your holy soul. And so he calls you to change that. And so he loves you in spite of that sin, and he loves that sin out of you. And the mark of being a true Christian 
is not that you have confidence that Jesus dies for your sin, is that you have conviction in your soul through the Holy Spirit that you want to purge yourself of this sin, that you would feel so negative about blaspheming the Holy Spirit by saying that Jesus loves your sin, that you are actively purging that sin from your body. I like to tell people that the idea that God loves you just the way you are. No, no, that was Mr. Rogers who loved you just the way you are. Jesus didn't love you just the way you are. Otherwise, he wouldn't have died for you because there would have been no need. And so we, we adapt a humanistic mindset that basically says, let's make this acceptable to everybody. And the fallacy is, I'm just trying to not have God seem harsh to other people. But really, what we're the, the major um, recipient of this bad theology if we allow ourselves to embrace our own excuses. To quote Rush Dooney again, he says, a world which is governed by excuses is a dangerous one. It means that if you feel that your sin has value to you, then you have an excuse for sin. It means that a worker is free to destroy or harm an employer's property if he dislikes his wages. It means that we excuse our children's delinquencies because we feel sorry for them or love them. And so it's really a justification for sin, and God's not going to permit it because sin's penalty was very costly for the Son of God. That's right. Well, and a few weekends ago uh, in our lectionary at church, we preached through uh, Luke chapter 14. And in Luke chapter 14, they write about uh, the Great Supper. And in this Great Supper, and I'm sure Rush Juni has commentary similar to this, but it talks about uh, people who are invited to a Great Supper. Now, obviously, this is a reference to Jesus inviting us into his kingdom. But in this story, which I'm sure many of you are familiar with, there are these figures who come up with excuses for why they cannot come to the Lord's Supper, to this master's great feast. Right, and among these, uh, among these excuses that Jesus uses in the parable, we can see each of these excuses in our lives today. And I won't go through the entire sermon I gave a couple of weeks ago, but uh, very quickly, there are a few big issues here. There is a person who said they bought a piece of ground, right? A person who said that they have invested in the property of this world, and that was their excuse why they couldn't come to the kingdom. There's a person who bought himself five oxen, right? Investing in the industry, his work, his merit in this world. And there's a person who invested in his wife. He just married a wife, and that was his excuse for he, why he could not come to this feast. Now, you can go through each of these examples and see why these are terrible excuses, right? For example, in the first one, you can't buy a piece of ground without going to see it. This man is obviously foolish. Uh, obviously, the supper doesn't happen at nine in the morning. It happens in the evening. So who's going to go look at a piece of ground at night? But more so, the Lord Jesus himself is saying, there will be no excuses that are accepted for why you didn't come to my great supper. And to make this uh, a little more accessible, I'll say this. There's a, great, uh, there's a great quote by Tony Robbins. And again, I don't mean to sound like a self-help guy, but every Christian would be much better off if they had Tony Robbins in one hand, Calvin's Institutes in another hand, <laughs> Rushton's Institutes in another, and the Bible all right there on the table in front of them. But the, the idea of excuses 
ruins everything. Tony Robbins says that you can either choose to make progress or to make excuses. And we're going we're gonna to take that, rob the Egyptians for a second, and we're going to rewrite that and say, you can either choose to make excuses or you can choose to take dominion. And what Jesus is saying is that the things of this world that pull you away from taking dominion over them are contrary to his kingdom. That you don't have a choice to make excuses. You have a choice to take dominion. And all those things that, that Andrea mentioned, whether it's from very simple things like how we treat ourselves and our children to more complicated things like mental health, we have the choice to take dominion over those things, to believe Christ's promises, or to make excuses. And I think that it's very clear that, that our Lord is empowering us to take dominion. And to go back to the parable, it's pretty clear that Christ's response was ridiculing such excuses and that they incite God's anger. So it's not just, it's not as good as it could be if you make excuses. You end up on the wrong side of your Savior and Creator, which is never a good place to be. And because I believe salvation has been cheapened, and reduced more to a insurance policy. It's like I signed the paper, now I, I paid my deductible, and now he's got to pay. That's not how you approach the living God. That doesn't reflect wisdom in approaching God with reverence and fear. So if we know that God is no respecter of excuses, then we better look in terms of do we do the things he says to do like tithe, like provide a Christian education for our children to be responsible to serve others in charity according to his word. You see, if we don't do those things, helping the widow and the orphan in their distress, and we say, well, we were busy doing these other things, God. We were, you know, buying the field. We were attending to, you know, our family at the exclusion of doing what you said to do. We may find out when there's no turning back that I never knew you will be his words to us. The, the other thing that we should really consider is what exactly is motivating these men in the parable? When, when they make these excuses at their core person, at who they are, what is the motivation that makes them afraid to do what God has called them to do? And I think that's the key word there, is that fear of what God has called you to do is paralyzing so many Christians. That it's fear that is generating these excuses for us. And I think if we look inwardly in ourselves and we ask, why is it that I'm afraid to apply God's standards uh, for my children and how I discipline them. Why is it that I'm afraid to apply God's standards in tithing, right? Perhaps I'm afraid that my child will rebel if I don't be their friend. Perhaps I'm afraid that I won't have enough money if I give God his tithe that's due. I think at a root of all of our excuses is this sense of fear. The men with the ox and the men with the wife, the men with the land who purchased, he's afraid that by going to this feast and avoiding his own responsibilities, that he is going to be led astray. And I have this, this practice of reading uh, the Proverbs with my children after they finish dinner, because as any parent knows, it takes your child about three or four times as long to eat their dinner than you. So you sit at the table, you open up the book of Proverbs, and while they're quietly rushing through their meal, or you're trying to rush them through their meal, you read them the book of Proverbs. And it says at the beginning of wisdom, 
is the fear of the Lord. And so there's a fear that is in our excuses, but it's not a fear of God. It's a fear of the world. It's a fear of our own inadequacy. And so I want us to hear the words of St. Paul today, who says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Nowhere in there does he give us an excuse. And so when we as Christians are contemplating, how do I apply God's word to this area where I am struggling? We cannot allow the fear of failure because we will fail. We can't allow the fear of ridicule from the world, the fear of those who are looking upon us to think that we are doing things the wrong way, but have confidence that when we follow God's word, so we follow his commandments, that we are empowered, that God's word, God's law, God's standards come with them, the power of God himself, that inside those are true love and sound mind. And Rush Dooney concludes his essay on excuses by saying, choose your world, a world of irresponsibility and excuses or the world of responsibility and righteousness. Your life depends on your choice. So we have a very, very important and effectual role to play in our own lives. It has to do with how we respond to the grace of God. And yeah. he doesn't want blind, non-thinking responses. He wants us to think through the implications of our faith, which isn't our effort. Our faith is not our effort. Our faith is something that we have received. And if we don't receive it and act on it, then it's a different faith. I think it's always funny to, when we talk about a famous Reformed theologian like, like Dr. Rushdoney, and we talk about choice, and we talk about responding to grace, and how we've been trained to think in theological terms, but yet we don't really respect them, right? <laughs> uh, somebody who, who's listening to this podcast may hear you say, uh, Rushduni is telling you to respond to grace, to make a choice to follow God, and might get caught up in all kinds of theological categories. But what I think is, is missed in all of that is that what Rushduni is saying is that you need to believe what God has said is true. And there's this quote that I, I always say to my wife. Um, and, and my wife and I have, have been married for, for seven years. And for seven years, I have bugged her with this quote from, from Henry Ford. And she'll say, do you think I can do such and such? Or do you think it's possible for us to do this? And I'll say, whether you think you can uh, or you can't, you're right. Right? It's a Henry Ford quote. And... It drives her nuts because uh, it's one of those non-answer questions, but it's, it's true in our Christian walk, though. If God's word says it's true, it's true. If God's word says you can, you can. And so when you look at God's word and you look for strength to overcome your sin, look for strength to overcome your difficulty, look to God's word for solutions for your present issue, right? That doesn't matter if it's your marriage, your business, your children, your education, whatever phase or season you are in life god's word has a solution and so whether you think it does or it doesn't you're right <laughs> and there's no other way about it and some people listen to this and i say you know steve and andrew that's great you guys are established you have you don't know the kind of mental problems i have you don't know the kind of financial problems i have 
But you need to hear the words that, that Churchill once said, who said that if you're in hell, don't make excuses for why you're in hell. If you're in hell, keep going until you're out. Keep working until you get through. Excuses get you nowhere. They leave you exactly where you are. And Christ is calling you to a perfect life. He is calling you to a transformed life. And his word says it's possible for all of us who are suffering, who are bearing, bearing these heavy loads, to cast them off onto him and to find freedom, to find purpose, to find out who we really are. Lewis has a, another quote, and I'm doing a lot of quotes this morning. I'm not sure why, but Lewis has, a, has it's another quite a, quote. It's quite all right. <laughs> Lewis has another quote that says, the problem is not the weight of your load, but how you carry it, right? The problem isn't that you're facing this issue because whatever struggle or, or trial that you're facing might be unique to you. You might not know anyone else who's going through this, but the Lord's promise is still true. My load, my yoke is easy. So we need to work on casting our, our, our weights, not onto excuses which hold up nothing, but casting our weights upon the Lord and his promises, upon his spirit of strength and power and saying, Lord, I am tired, I'm sore, I'm beat up from carrying this load. And to hear the Lord say, Steve, you're holding it all wrong. You need to put it with me. You need to trust my promises. You need to follow my ways. And not only is that true for salvation, there's nothing you can do to earn, but it's true for all of Christian life in every area, in every sphere. Christ is going to carry the load, but we need to follow his line. That's exactly what it means to walk by faith rather than sight. When, what I got to thinking of when you said that People might listen to this and say, well, you guys have a really good life and it's all established and of course you can say this. Well, number one, those people don't know what we have gone through in our life. So it sounds good to make us having all established or whatever they think their excuse for not taking this to heart. Remember, God isn't a respecter of excuses. But the very fact that you're going through something that's real, that's tangible, that hurts, that you don't know a way out, goes right back to the fact, are you going to carry Jesus's burden, which is lighter than your burden will ever be, because his doesn't include sin and yours does? And then are you going to look to, as you called it, his ways, but we could also say his law, to say... You can almost be positive if you are suffering under something, whether it's physical, mental, financial, relational. There's some aspect of God's law word that's not being effectively applied. And to make the excuse, well, it's hard, or this could take a while, no one's going to dispute that. But it's not a question if you work at it long enough, you'll overcome it. It already was accomplished. Jesus says it's finished. Now, if we're not satisfied with it's finished with him, then we'll never be satisfied it's finished with us. That's right. And we need to, uh, as we work through this idea of excuses, ponder. What have excuses ever done for us? What have we gained but, you know, five minutes of deferred blame by making an excuse? 
you know, for making those excuses for why you didn't show up to work on time, for making excuses why you didn't help your wife with the dishes, making those excuses of why you haven't put in the work and the effort in your own sanctification. What have those excuses really got you? And we need to recognize that our excuses are driven by our desire to feel safe. They're driven by our idea to feel secure. They're driven by our idea to blame other people. And they have no intention of furthering the kingdom of God. I think a lot of Christians should have it in their mind when they read the scripture. What is the purpose of the kingdom? When they say the Lord's Prayer, they should look at the end goal that the earth would become like heaven, that the heaven's kingdom, the Lord would reign here on earth. Every single excuse puts that reality one more decision away. And so we need to embrace an idea of of self-reliance, an idea of independence, these ideas that are formed not out of excuses, but on trust and walking by faith, as Andrea says. We can't allow ourselves to be captured by a spirit of powerlessness, that everything that happens around us is somebody else's fault. You know, it's very easy to get stuck in that game, to look at our leaders. Perhaps we look at the people in the church. We say, if only the church was doing X, Y, and Z. If only the schools were teaching X, Y, and Z. If only my congressman would pass this law. You see, that's not how the Christian life is meant to be. Those at their very root, are excuses for our own complacency. It's allowing us to remain powerless, to be seduced by our own desire and our own fears. And to go one step further, let's say those things that you see are true that are affecting you, whether it's the the, the pastor or the politician or whatever it is. Well, then you must identify the issue as sin. If it's a fellow believer, you can confront that person on the basis of God's word says this and you're not following it and you would fall into the the category of a faithful friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. But what happens to people, somebody tells them something that's going on, maybe because they don't want to get too close or too involved. They go, oh, yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, employers are like that. That's just the way it is. Yeah, the government takes your money. In other words, are we selling an excuse because we don't want to get involved with somebody that we don't want to actually say the hard things that say, you know, the reason that you can't find a job is that you don't show up on time. The reason that you can't keep a job is because you don't do a good job and you don't communicate to the person who's hired you, I made this mistake and I plan to stay until I fix it. You see, when you just say, oh, yeah, I understand all that's terrible or whatever, that's the kisses of the enemy that flatter you and keep you just where you are. But you'll never be able to be that faithful friend if you can't speak truth to yourself because you'll never speak it to anyone else. That's right. And for those of you who are are listening and thinking, all right, I'm going to stop making excuses. Um, Where do I begin or what does God's word have to say for me? I want you to hear um, that you don't need permission from any institution, from any organization, from any seminary to begin doing the work of the kingdom. You don't need permission to do what God has already called you to do. You don't need permission to start today. Uh, Don't allow 
those type of bottlenecks to be another form of excuse for you. You don't need permission to begin today to fulfill your calling. There is a sense in our, our culture today that we need to you know, get special degrees, special qualifications, get specialization in a certain subject before we can really do what we're, we're called to do. But you need to look around your community, whether it's in a church or in a school or in your job, and recognize that there is something right there that God is calling you to do. And he's calling you to put aside your excuses and to say yes to the work of the kingdom today. There's you know, the very famous meme of uh, the young man who says, you know, just do it. Right? Just, just do it today and quit making excuses uh, for why it is that you have failed to fulfill God's calling on your life. And you'll fall and then you get up and you look and you evaluate your performance or what you did based on how faithful you were to the scripture. And then you don't have this inflated view of yourself. Uh, I used to run into this with my children. If I can't do it perfectly, I don't want to do it at all. Okay, then nobody would do anything right? If you can't do it perfectly, accept the correction, move on, and next time, granted, you'll make a new mistake, but you won't make the same mistake if you actually correct it. So we're really talking about juxtapositioning, irresponsibility and responsibility, excuses and righteousness. Where do you want to come down on how you live? Amen. Amen. All right, well, I think we covered it. Any suggestions? You, you referenced a lot of different people. Any good reading material that you think might be helpful in orienting people more along the lines of the things we talked about? Yeah, uh, not, not from a Christian perspective, but there are some, there are some nuggets of truth in uh, different work that you should, you should go through. There's a man named Seth Godin uh, who wrote a book called The Dip. And I think that'd be very helpful with Christians who are struggling with their identity. And in the dip, he talk, Seth Godin talks about your success or who you're supposed to be is on the other side of whatever the difficult thing is before you. you know, whatever it is you're struggling with, uh, just work through that. Like you know, Churchill said, go through that hell. And who you are supposed to be is on the other side of the dip. Um, so don't run from challenges, run straight into them. That's good. And I can tell you when I have people calling me for help, and I'm privileged actually that I do have a number of people who call me for help, I never embrace the idea that I'm going to solve their problem. As a matter of fact, right off the beginning, I say, I am not going to solve your problem. I'm not capable of solving your problem. But I can point you to the area of God's word that will address that for you. And Sometimes people are like, well, if you don't have an answer, then how am I supposed to have an answer because you're just so smart or whatever they think? And it's like, no, I have not been given this challenge. You have. And God gave you the challenge because he expects you to work out your salvation as you're approaching this challenge. And that's how those of us who have experience and history and are in a position to offer people mentorship or advice, it's because we've been there. Don't ever assume that the people you respect or think highly of did not struggle. What you probably don't know is that in the midst of the struggle, they persevered and they worked through it and weren't terribly interested in giving you their excuses. Amen. 
listeners, if you want to communicate to us, we are always eager to hear from you out of the question podcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you think about what we talked about today, topics you would like us to cover. And Steve, until next time. Thank you, Andrea. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.